Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Thank you. So Chris is out of town. Let's party. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, good morning, and I'm really glad that you're here today. Welcome to the JAR. And I'm Dawn Richmond. I'm the student ministry director here at the JAR, so I'll never know that struggle. We don't have to talk to people face-to-face anymore. Um, we can stalk them on social media. We can know their cousin's brother's son without them even knowing we're looking them up, right? We don't have to talk to people face-to-face. We can text them. We can message them. Again, I work with adolescents, and you would be surprised how many of the adolescents I work with, I've been helping them maybe try to apply for a job or something, and they're like, but how do I make a phone call? Like, they know how to make a phone call, but they're scared to leave a voicemail because that's not their normal. Their normal is to send a text message and instead of actually being face-to-face or talking with someone on the phone, and it can be extremely intimidating to them. You know, we have access to Internet that's so fast, you know, if it takes our phone more than two seconds to load, we start, come on, why is this thing not working? We start sighing and getting all bent out of shape. Gone are the days of dial-up Internet, right? Young people won't know what I'm talking about, but I'm a big advocate of, you guys remember AOL? It took like five years to dial up, and I remember we would download songs in high school, and we would go to school that morning and download a song and then come home after school and be like, 30%, all right, and then, you know, the next day, 80%. Um, That internet was so slow, (laughs) but, you know, things have, have changed a lot with that. With AOL, I think that people should have to do this as a part of premarital counseling, Like, you need to sit with the person that you're going to marry and use dial-up internet. Because that shows the real side of someone, right? When it takes that long for the internet to start working. So, a little hiccup, a little challenge, a little adversity comes our way, and we lose our minds. We're beside ourselves. And we're all about instant gratification and comfort. And we don't want to be uncomfortable. That's just not our nature. But I want to ask you something. I want to ask you this question. If we are not uncomfortable, then are we really changing or are we really growing? You know, we like to be in our comfort zones. That's why it's called a comfort zone, right? But are we really changing in that? And being uncomfortable and even enduring pain is a part of all of our lives. That's a reality of our lives here on earth. And so that leads to our big idea today. So it's the first fill-in in your program or you can do it on the app. And the big idea is growth and comfort do not coexist. So go ahead and fill that in. Growth and comfort do not coexist. So my husband and I have been married for a little over six years. And whenever we were dating and we got engaged, you know, you start talking about your future and started talking about, well, we want to have children, but I'm not sure that I can have kids. Um, For health reasons, I was told I wouldn't be able to have children. And... So we were like, well, maybe we'll adopt later, you know, we'll figure something out. And about five months into our marriage, I couldn't figure out why I was so sick. I was nauseated, just felt like death. And um, one morning, it was when I was teaching, so I got up about five in the morning and um, took a pregnancy test and thought, well, I'll just rule this out, you know, and then I'll call the doctor. Well, it was positive, right? So I remember five in the morning, I'm going, oh, my gosh. And I said, Justin? And he comes running into the bathroom all disheveled and hair all crazy. And uh, he's like, what's the matter? And I said, I'm pregnant. And he goes, are you okay? (laughs) And I was like, 
I don't know. And um, I was excited and terrified and shocked and all these different emotions. And I said, what do I do? Meaning like, oh my gosh, this is just so crazy. Not like, what do I really do? But I go, what do I do? And he goes, like a loving husband would, get in the shower and go to work. Thanks for that. Um, But I remember thinking, just walking around that whole day thinking, like smiling and thinking like, wow, what a wonderful gift that God has given me, allowing me to, you know, carry a child and become a mom. But then I also realized, holy crap, I'm going to have a child. Um, I never thought I'd have kids. To be honest, I didn't really think I wanted any kids. Um, And... I'm going to be responsible for shaping another human being, like their character and just who she is. I'm definitely going to screw this kid up. That was, that was my thought. So I started going to counseling and you guys heard Chris say I'm actually a therapist myself and it's cool because as a part of school, a lot of times you go to counseling and kind of like work out your own issues because everybody has issues before you become a therapist. Um, but I decided to do that anyways, just for my own self-growth and working on some things. Was that easy for me to do, especially being hormonal, right? No. Um, sorting through the past of my childhood and growing up with my dad being an alcoholic, um, struggles that my parents faced because of that alcoholism, and a lot of mistakes that I have made that I was solely responsible for. Was it easy to work through all those things in counseling? No. Was it comfortable? Absolutely not. But was it necessary? For me, yes, it was, because it was important for me not to pass that baggage on to my child and not let my past define who she would be and what our future would be. So shortly after my daughter was born, I was involved in Celebrate Recovery in a step study. So if you guys don't know about Celebrate Recovery, it's a great thing. We have it here at the JAR. It meets at the office. And it's a 12-step Christ-centered program that can help you with any hurt, habit, or hang-up. But I was involved in a step study, which is kind of like a small group of CR. So it's just a smaller group that gets together and you break down the steps. And we got to step number four. So if any of you know about CR, step number four is the moral inventory. And you get a lot of people that drop out like that because you have to go through every single thing in your life um, that you have done that has been done to you, just digging up the wounds of your past and how you've harmed others and how others have harmed you. And it's very difficult. Everything wrong you've ever done in your life. And then you confess it to God and you confess it to someone that you trust. Was that easy? No. That was probably harder for me than counseling. Was it comfortable? No. But after you do the inventory, like I said, you confess it, you confess it to God through prayer and then you confess it to someone else. Well, you're supposed to have like an accountability partner or a sponsor and celebrate recovery. Well, I was like, "Mm -mm, I need somebody bound by law. So I went to my counselor and said, she's bound by confidentiality. She cannot share this stuff. So I'll, I'll confess it to her. But was it painful? Actually, yes, it was. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Um, it was also painful for those around me because trauma evokes different things in you and it pulled up all these emotions and this anger that I had. And I remember having my journal and my husband being like, what's the matter with you? And I couldn't really understand why I was angry at that time. But I know it was from digging up all of that stuff. But through that pain and the discomfort, Jesus walked right alongside of me. 
And he grew me, and he helped me, and he healed me through that. Because growth and comfort do not coexist. You see, when we accept Christ into our lives, we become a new creation. And we don't have to be held down by that baggage anymore of our past. And sometimes that journey can be really painful. And it's not for the faint of heart. But Jesus said himself in John 16:33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, we'll have trouble and sorrow and pain, but perhaps if we can just hang in there and try to look at it differently, we can see it as an opportunity for growth. That doesn't mean it won't hurt. That doesn't mean that we're not allowed to experience our emotions associated with that. But it does mean that maybe under that pressure, under that pressing and crushing, that we just have to throw our hands up and let go and trust God. And he will draw us closer to him, and he will make something beautiful out of that pain. When we accept Christ in our lives, that doesn't mean that we're perfect, or we have it all together, or we're never going to mess up again. But it does mean that God loves us enough to not keep us the same way that we were before. And he loves us enough to help us walk through this journey called life. And he wants us to grow, and he will equip us to do so. One of my favorite scriptures says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Pain hardens us. It can really harden our hearts. You know, maybe you're somebody that struggles with people-pleasing, and you're overstressed and overworked and overcommitted, and you just can't say no because you don't want to tick anybody off, but you're letting that just consume you. And you begin to resent those commitments that you've made because you can't say no because it's uncomfortable and you don't want to set boundaries. But what if all of your yes answers is making a mess out of you? What if you're missing out on a yes to your family or people that are important in your life or, most importantly, a yes to God that you missed? Maybe you're like me and you struggle with anger. You try so hard to control it, but let's face it, it controls you. That anger keeps people at a distance and it keeps them away, and that's who you've been for so long that you're not sure who you are without those walls up. And if you're not that protected person that everyone is fearful of or stays away from, then who are you? And, you know, it can be really painful to admit that. And it's not easy to reach out and get help and be vulnerable. But it would be a way to make a better choice to honor yourself and to honor God and those around you. Because where there is anger, there are always casualties and collateral damage. Maybe you've tried everything you can and everything you know. You've given it your all and you've exhausted all of your options. And still that relationship didn't work. The friendship ended. The relationship ended. The marriage failed. And you want to grow, but you just can't seem to breathe anymore. And you can't seem to move forward or move on. But the pain is real. And you don't see it coming to an end. But what will you do? Where will you stand And you see, I made a commitment to Christ in my late 20s to allow them to make a mistake. But you see, mistakes are a part of learning. So if we swoop in and rescue our kids from every single thing that they're going to mess up on or do wrong, then we're doing them a disservice. 
because what happens when life gets tough and mom and dad aren't there to swoop in and save the day? You will have a helpless child who then becomes a helpless adult who cannot make decisions for themselves. If we never take off those training wheels, how are we just leaving it all? And that's what um, walking on water. When the followers saw him walking on the water, they were afraid. They said, it is a spirit, and they cried out with fear. At once Jesus spoke to them and said, take hope, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to Jesus, if it is you, Lord, tell me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water to Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind, he was afraid. He began to go down in the water. He cried out, Lord, save me. At once Jesus put his hand out and told them, or, and took hold of him. Jesus said to Peter, you have so little faith, why did you doubt? When Jesus and Peter got into the boat, the wind stopped blowing. Those in the boat worshipped Jesus, and they said, for sure you are the Son of God. So I know that's a long passage, but it's really important, because Peter was the only one to act out in faith and step out of that boat. Did he do it perfectly? No. Was it easy? Absolutely not. And when we think of this story in the Bible, I picture, you know, waves that I've seen at the ocean. I know some of you guys travel, you know, to the Gulf, and you have those little dinky waves, right? These are some big storm waves um, out on the water. So they were huge in the boat, let alone outside of the boat. And because of the demonstration of Christ's power, Peter was able to walk on water. And Peter started to sink when he took his eyes off of Jesus and focused on his circumstances and those high waves around him. His faith faltered when he realized what he was doing. Have you ever been there? When you realize the immensity of what is happening, or you take your focus off of Jesus and you start to stumble? When you are experiencing pain and sometimes you you lose sight of God and where he is in that situation? You know, we tend to focus on ourselves and on our pain. That's where I mess up and that's where Peter messed up. Because as soon as we fix our eyes back on Jesus, he won't let us go. Does that mean the pain will go away? Or we'll live an untroubled life? Probably not. But it does mean that we don't have to by ourselves. And when we come to the other side of the water, when we safely get back in the boat or come to the other side of that storm, we won't be the same. Because we will have grown. And when we focus on Jesus and his power instead of our pain and struggles, then we grow. So some of you may be familiar with that story of Peter walking on water. But one of my favorite stories is actually involves Peter at the Last Supper. So here we are at the Last Supper on the night before Jesus would die. And Jesus knew that he was going to die. And he knew that he was going to be betrayed by Judas, one of his own disciples. And soon he would be beaten and mocked and nailed to a cross. And even though Jesus knew all these things, his disciples didn't really understand what was going to happen. So Jesus got up from the meal. He wrapped a towel around his waist and he poured water into a large bowl. And he began to wash his disciples' feet. And he dried their feet with a towel and... In those days, foot washing was a cultural norm. It was something that was needed in every home because out on the streets there was garbage and waste, human waste and animal waste, and you know people wore sandals and no shoes sometimes, so their feet were pretty gross when they came into the house. 
So a way to honor your guests was to wash their feet. But normally the lowest servant did that, that job. So Jesus did that. In John 13, 6 through 10, it says, When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You don't understand what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, Unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, Then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. So the gist of this passage is a concept called servant leadership. It's to make yourself humble. It's to make yourself lowly and to serve others to glorify God. But I really like to focus on Jesus, or I'm sorry, Peter's reaction because I relate to it. You see, I'm okay with serving others and trying to make love known, the love of Christ, in in my ways that I give and serve to others. But when it comes to being served, I really struggle. You know, Peter was confused. He couldn't imagine his master, his king, bending down, kneeling down to wash his feet, the job of a lowly servant. And he says something about it, and he struggles to actually let it happen. But what if the way in which we grow is to actually humble ourselves and to let others help us and let Jesus take the lead, even if we don't fully understand. You know, I was reminded of Peter in our small group. So here at the JAR, my husband and I are part of a small group um, that focuses on marriages. And one Friday, it was Good Friday this past year to be exact, we discussed the Last Supper and what it meant to serve one another and how we are to serve our spouses in marriage. And Sarah, one of my good friends, she demonstrated foot washing with her husband, Bronson. And she talked about doing that and serving one another and praying over one another and asking for forgiveness in the things that we did. And we were reminded of what this meant at the Last Supper and what it means to us today. And it was very moving. But I'm over here thinking, my husband hates feet. He's not going to do this. (laughs) but to my surprise Justin did and first I washed his feet and I prayed and I asked for forgiveness of my shortcomings but when it came to him actually washing my feet he wasn't the one actually that hesitated it was me I was wrecked I cried and I cried and the Lord showed me during this time that I need to let others help me that I don't have to have it all together And I need to let go in order to move forward and to grow. And if you've been married for five months or 50 years, you know that marriage can be difficult. Marriage is like holding up a mirror to your face. And not just like a regular mirror, right? Like one of those magnifying, you can see all your pores and maybe like if you're getting a beard hair growing in or something. Um, It shows all of your imperfections, right? And marriage can show us our flaws, our spouse's flaws, all of our insecurities. And something really important is to take the time to have fun and grow and laugh and learn together in order to keep your relationship strong. And something that the JAR cares about is investing in marriages. So on August 23rd at the JAR office, we are going to have a marriage night and we'll be streaming marriage psychologists and authors 
And it's just a great night to get together. Dinner and childcare are provided. Um, it's $25 a couple. And you can sign up on the app or stop at the resource table. Also on your Connect card, if you pull that out, there's a blue box. You can check that if you would like more information. But it's just a great way to do something with other couples, to learn, to grow, and to laugh together. So during the time that I talked about with the, the foot washing, I was reminded that growth and comfort do not coexist when I had a hard time allowing my husband to serve me. Because I'm stubborn and prideful. And I just, you know, I think I can do it better on my own most of the time. But what if it took pain and hardship and discomfort, much like Peter, to get closer than ever to Jesus? One of my favorite writers, and he's also a pastor, is Levi Lesko. And he has a quote that really stood out to me. It says, God is going to do more than you think he can, but it's going to hurt more than you think it will. You see, God is capable of more than we could ever imagine. And our human minds are so limited that we can't understand his power and his goodness and his plan. But I will tell you that God never wastes a hurt. Sometimes we are given a limitation and we struggle and maybe sometimes never overcome that limitation. Paul, who wrote over half of the New Testament of the Bible, he was one of Jesus' closest followers and he was said to have a thorn in his flesh. And we don't know for sure what that was, but it was some sort of affliction that he struggled with. And some suggested it was a disease of the eyes. Some suggested it was malaria um, or epilepsy. Well, whatever it was, it was chronic and debilitating for him, and it kept him from doing a lot of things, including working sometimes. And the thorn stopped him from doing a lot, and he prayed to God for it to be removed. But God did not remove it. You see, Paul was very self-sufficient, and he thought he could do most things on his own. I know that relates to me. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you. So this thorn kept him humble and reliant on God, and it reminded him of his constant need for God. Now, I want you to write this down. It's not in your program, but it's 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. And it's the message version, which is my favorite version of the Bible. And it says this, Because of the extravagance of those revelations, and so I wouldn't get a big head, I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angels did his best to get me down. What he, in fact, did was push me to my knees. No danger, then, of walking around all high and mighty. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift, and I begged God to remove it. Three times I did that, and then he told me, My grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. And once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer. Those limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. So the weaker I get, the stronger I become. My grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength come to its own in your weakness. The weaker I get, the stronger I become. You see, God didn't remove Paul's affliction, but he did promise to demonstrate his power through Paul. And God's power can be displayed in our weaknesses if we allow them to, 
if we stick it out and we trust him. And as we realize our limitations, we will depend more on God and his effectiveness instead of our own. If you're growing, you're probably not going to like it. It might hurt. But God is doing something amazing, and you just can't skip the process. Scripture reminds us in Romans 8.18, the pain that you've been feeling can't compare to the joy that's coming. So how do we endure through our growth pain? The first thing that we can do, and this is your next fill-in, is keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. When Peter walked on water, if he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was just fine. It's when the actuality of the situation or the worry, he looked around and came that came to his mind and he saw everything around him that he started to sink. And when we picture our future without Jesus, that makes us anxious. I know I do that all the time. I imagine a scenario and how it's going to play out, but I'm not picturing Jesus right there with me. I'm just picturing me doing it on my own, and I know that I'm going to mess it up. You know, when we get so busy that we forget to be present, to be here right now, and to be thankful for the ones around us, to be present with our Jesus who loves us so much, Sometimes God uses pain to get our attention. And if we're not focused on him, we may be reminded that an area in our, an area in our life needs attention. Much like I talked about before with my drinking, God used that pain to get my attention so I would focus on him and what he could do in my life and allow him to change me instead of me trying to do it on my own. The second way to endure through our growth pain is to pray honestly. It's to pray honestly. You know, God can handle it, I promise. You can cry out to God, you can yell, you can voice your frustrations. You can be honest, and maybe you can't be honest or vulnerable with anybody else in your life, including your family. But you can be honest with God, and I promise you, he won't let you down. He is faithful, and he will not change because that is who he is. And sometimes in our pain and our desperation, our brokenness can cause us to kneel. And there we find the strength to pray honestly. So I want to ask you, are you trying to do it on your own today? If so, I can give you two words to help you with that. I surrender. While we fix our eyes on him and we pray truthfully and honestly, the third thing that we can do is surrender all to him. Surrender all to him. Growth and comfort do not coexist. We must surrender in our pain and in our uncertainty. Guys, everybody has their stuff. No one has it all together, even if it looks like they do. You know, we look at everybody's social media, and there's pictures, and that's that's their best, okay? So if they're posting some messed up stuff, imagine what the reality is, right? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um But we just see that best version of them. And, you know, we don't know what happens behind closed doors or any internal struggle that they face. We may not know, but God does. And no one is perfect. And we're actually all pretty messed up. I know I am. And that's why I need Jesus every second, every minute, every hour of every day. Because I am nothing without him. So I fix my eyes on him. I talk to him through prayer. And I daily make an attempt to surrender and give up myself. Get rid of me. Less of me, more of you. 
and I surrender to him. See, our limitations, our weaknesses, not only develop our character and trust in the Lord, but they can deepen our worship. Because in admitting them, we affirm God's strength. In admitting that we can't handle it on our own, we find freedom in allowing God to take care of it, for him to handle it, to surrender. Caleb and the band are going to lead us in a song about surrendering. And so I want you to take a second and think about what it is that you're facing today. It may seem impossible. It may seem scary. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's a broken relationship. Perhaps it's a mental illness like anxiety or depression. Or maybe you're just alone and feeling so broken. It's never too much for our God. God's shoulders are big enough to carry your load and my load. So I want you to listen to these words and sing these words. And I want you to surrender whatever it is that you need to to God today.